Dean Vicamar from the University of Illinois. Did you know that one, Dean? No, I wouldn't have even taken a guess. Although when he said speeding, you should have given that to him because speeding is a generic. Uh, I know. It doesn't have to be a car. I gave it you to him eventually. Him work for it. I want exactly. This is you know this is a legal show, right? We we ask for specifics, and in the courtroom we want, and and just like here on the air, we want to make sure that we get all the answers. Uh, Dean Amar, thanks for hopping on with us today. I appreciate it. My pleasure, indeed. And uh, just uh, apologies in advance if we had to break in to talk a little weather. Um, I, we've been talking about the shadow docket. I feel like we've heard more about the shadow docket from the Supreme Court over the past year or so than maybe anyone's ever talked about it combined the previous 200-some years of our nation's history. What is the shadow docket? So it's a term used to describe cases that come to the Supreme Court and are resolved by the Supreme Court without the ordinary full-blown process where uh, the court grants review in a case and then the parties spend months uh, submitting briefs and then reply briefs and then the justices prepare for uh, half an hour or an hour or more's worth of oral arguments. Uh, and then the uh, the justices deliberate after that, and it takes them months and months to generate an opinion. This is a much more telescoped, truncated uh, a path to get the Supreme Court to rule on one's case. So typically, um, the shadow docket cases involve uh, time of the essence, emergency kind of matters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's not quite true that it's, uh, it's only been in the last year or so. I would say it's more like the last three or four years okay and and it was kind of you know maybe a, a somewhat gradual increase but, but i think what's what's um, unnerving to some people is that the supreme court seems to be using these emergency petitions to resolve really important complicated questions of federal law without the benefit of full-blown briefing and in particular uh from my point of view uh, uh, amicus briefing. That's, uh, those are briefs filed by so-called uh, amicus curiae, friends of the court. So law professors, um, industry um, uh, uh, individuals who have special expertise on the questions that the court is taking up. In the ordinary course of things, there are months and months for these outsiders who aren't parties to the case, but who care about the, uh, the Supreme Court getting it right they can um, submit briefs that provide expertise to the court. Because one of the things that most people don't realize is the Supreme Court is essentially a group of generalists. Mm -hmm. Members of the Supreme Court aren't particularly expert in tax law or constitutional law even. None of the Supreme Court justices know much about constitutional law compared to the the top constitutional law law professors. We saw this in Judge Jackson's hearing. Judge Jackson uh, is a very fine lower court judge, but... Uh, she didn't have kind of the the uh, uh, depth and ready command that that uh, professors in various fields that she was asked about might, because as a judge, she has to be a generalist. Uh, she has to hear different kinds of cases, so she's not going to be as deep in any one area of law. That's why the court traditionally, and the Supreme Court in particular, have been receptive to amicus briefs from uh, experts in various fields, but you don't have time to do any of that when you decide cases in the span of a few weeks uh, and issue rulings that might not have quite as much precedential effect, uh, because the court itself recognizes that rulings issued without a lot of process aren't entitled to as much uh, uh, precedential weight. 
Right. They still are entitled to a fair bit because they resolve the case, they send messages. And and once the the court issues a a decision, even a a, a time-constrained one in a shadow docket case, that creates the, the status quo against which all other decisions are going to be had. So the court doesn't like to reverse itself uh, and change course, even when the earlier ruling happened to be one that wasn't the product of a full-blown process. Right. Dean, we're going to take a break. I-, I want after the break to like put some examples to like what used to be considered par for the course for what the shadow docket would do. And maybe an example of what they've done recently that has caused controversy. Does that sound good after the break? Sure. I think that'll help everyone understand it a little bit more. All right, quick break here on Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association on WGN. 720 WGN, John Hansen here, and this is Let's Get Legal, powered by the Illinois State Bar Association. We'll continue our conversation with Dean Vicamara of the University of Illinois in a moment. Just want to update people on what we're seeing in the weather world, and this is a pretty strong line of storms all the way down to Champaign. Well, you know what? I'm not going to use severe weather as a transition to the University of Illinois, Dean. I guess I just did that, sir. Uh, Vic Amar continues our conversation about the shadow docket, and we were talking about its use over the last three or four years in situations where maybe it hadn't really been used. So, Dean, can we just try and like get an example of what used to be used in a shadow docket case versus what we've seen the last couple of years? Sure. I think, uh, you know, 30 years ago, for example, um, a high percentage of the emergency applications to the Supreme Court where some parties asking the Supreme Court to intervene uh, very quickly to uh, preserve the status quo um, tended to involve things like uh, imminent um, capital executions. Okay. So uh, a state is going to put someone to death at 12.01 a.m. and uh, the lawyer for the defendant goes to the Supreme Court the, the day before and asks five justices to issue a stay of execution for the uh, the convicted person because they have some legal claim that they feel that hasn't been fully and fairly vetted yet. And of course, if the uh, individual is put to death, then um, uh, that's irreversible. So they're asking the court to kind of hold hold the status quo at that time. Sometimes the court did, most of the time it did not. But but preserving the status quo in those cases tended not to resolve the merits of a case so much as just by time. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that a state doesn't have an interest in in uh, following a particular timeline for its executions. You heard the phrase, justice delayed is justice denied. So there's certainly something to be said for uh, moving the wheels of justice forward. But I think it wasn't as controversial as some of the more recent settings. I'll give you a few examples. During COVID, California had a law that prevented people from getting together in in homes, home get-togethers inside your house, if people from more than three households were gathering. Hmm. So you could, you could get together with three friends from three different households, but they didn't want people from 10 households coming together on the theory that each person who represents a household is really bringing all the germs of all the people in each of those households. And this was a law, really not, and this was a law, not a guidance. This was, this is the law. Yeah, this was, a, this was a regulation. This was a law. Um, uh, um, and uh, religious groups argued that since people from more than three households can get together um, when they go to a grocery store like Myers or when they go to a, a hair salon or something, that it was discrimination against religion to deny people the right to have religious get-togethers that involved persons from more than three households. Now, I think that the, the immediate rejoinder is, well, 
No, it's not because grocery stores are very different than home get-togethers. In a grocery store, you don't sit next to someone uh, for 45 minutes um, uh, without moving around. We all know how it was at the peak of COVID. We would go into the grocery store and keep our head down and get our goods and, and, and get through the checkout as quickly as possible. Importantly, this law didn't discriminate against religion vis-a-vis, say, other home get-togethers. So if you had a, a birthday party or an anniversary party or a political get-together, all of those were subject to the same uh, three-household limit that, that religious get-togethers were. So I think there was a good argument, the one Justice Kagan made in dissent, that this didn't constitute discrimination against religion. And yet five justices, without briefing, essentially decided that this kind of setup constitutes a violation of the free exercise clause, and California can't do it. Now, that's making major new law in a, in a dubious way, to my mind, um, in a setting where they didn't even really get all of the uh, analysis and arguments that they should have. Another example, um, just last month, um, after uh, North Carolina uh, drew congressional district lines, um, because after every 10-year census, legislatures draw new um, district lines, so they drew congressional district lines, and the, the uh, disappointed Republicans went to the Supreme Court and said what the state legislature did um, uh, uh, was, uh, was, excuse me, let me back up, so the state legislature drew its district lines, but the North Carolina Supreme Court invalidated those district lines on the ground that they were impermissibly partisan. Mm-hmm. So they said the North Carolina Constitution regulates excessive partisan gerrymandering. So they, they, they basically invalidated those lines and ordered uh, uh, and facilitated new ones to be drawn. And disappointed Republicans who had controlled the process in the North Carolina legislature went to the U.S. Supreme Court and said, you've got to undo what the North Carolina Supreme Court did so we get to have the district lines that we want to going into the spring season. Now, again, either way you go, you're going to disappoint somebody. Uh, but, but when you make if, if three justices uh, uh, wanted to grant that application and undo what the North Carolina Supreme Court did, which would have been making new law on the merits, and again, to my mind, quite dubious law, um, happily, a majority of justices declined that, but it was on the verge of be- making a big new decision in the context of this telescoped uh, uh, decision-making. Right. So, um, Just a case this past week involved affirmative action, the same kind of thing. Yeah, so what you're saying is a shadow docket ruling carries the same weight, especially if it creates new interpretations of the law, as one it does with... Carry, it doesn't carry quite the same weight, because the Supreme Court has said that its past rulings, which are entitled to a lot of respect by the U.S. Supreme Court and, and, and by lower federal courts, are not entitled to quite the same respect if they are issued on a, on a kind of a, 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 a rapid timeline. So the Supreme Court itself does not treat its shadow docket rulings with quite the same weight that it does regular rulings, but lower courts have to treat it with respect. Right, because there's no lower other... federal yeah. courts have to take it as binding, because they're bound by that. And even though the U.S. Supreme Court can say we don't really give that much uh, weight to our past shadow docket rulings, as people, the justices always like to be consistent with what they've done in the past. Right. If they voted to grant review if they voted to grant relief in a shadow docket case, they don't want to admit they made a mistake a year later when the case, uh, the same issue comes back in a full, more fully briefed case. Yeah. So the reality is it's it, it's human nature to to continue what you've been doing and that's why these rulings have significant effect. Dean we got we are out of time Dean Amar. I just want to ask but if five justices say they want to rake this ruling that's that's how it goes, right? There's the ju- the chief justice can't step in and say nah, we're not going to do that. Five justices it's that's all you need, right? You, once you get to five that's all you need. All right. 
Dean Vicamara, thanks for breaking this down for us. I appreciate it. Take care. All right. Be safe.